sure you will be too. Wamindika, welcome to M Pavilion. We acknowledge the Boon Wurrung as the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. We pay our respects to the land, their ancestors and their elders, past, present and to the future, and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people present today. Tonight is the fourth event in our M Talk series, and tonight it's a panel discussion curated by Discourse to complement the Cathedrals of Culture documentary that is currently screening at ACME. So now I'll hand over to James Carter from Discourse, who will be overseeing the discussion. Thanks. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, so tonight we're here today uh, as part of a collaboration between ACME and Pavilion and Discourse to discuss some of the ideas that are found in the film Cathedrals of Culture. Uh, the film will be screening over the next two weeks at ACME uh, and it kind of looks at the cultural significance of six different buildings around the world. Uh, we see this event tonight as somewhat of an opening foresight to the themes within the film and not necessarily the film itself. Uh, so hopefully we won't be ruining the film for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, but in all honesty, I hope this stirs some more interest in the film and its themes and that you go see it over the next two weeks. Uh, and also... Later on, I'll be introducing a little audio tour uh, that Discourse did with the M Pavilion. But uh, for so now, I'll just we have a great panel amongst us, and I'll introduce them soon enough. But I just wanted to encourage everyone to think of questions throughout the talk, because uh, towards the end, we'll be asking uh, the audience to sort of put in a bit of themselves and a bit of input, and hopefully ask us some good questions. Uh, so now, our panel members are Kristen Green, architect and founder of Christian uh, Green Architects, Callum Morton, uh, multidisciplinary multi artist and designer, uh, Aaron Roberts, architect and one of the founders of Room 11, and uh, Marnie Edmiston, uh, Melbourne-based architect, uh, sorry, artist. Um, so just to quickly introduce the panel, uh, sorry, the discussion, uh, we wanted to look at hopefully the narrative that uh, our experiences with spaces create. Uh, one could say public spaces and buildings such as the MNGV or Flinders Street Station are often experienced completely differently over the course of people's lives and I think that what's interesting is how our experiences and perceptions of such spaces change as our habits within them change. Um, you might have seen, I, we mentioned Walter Benjamin. Um, he saw this type of architecture as an architectural experience that was more consummated in the collectivity in a state of distraction. And this kind of uh, experience within a space was more to do with the haptic experiences. So not necessarily visual, but more sort of the touch, the smell uh, and the sound. Um, and so one thing I think it's good to look into tonight is uh, do we need to recognise these uh, spatial experiences, which is sort of more the haptic as do they need to play a stronger role in our spaces, especially in the public? So maybe I might just start with a simple question by asking the panel how these haptic experiences uh, sort of influence their own work and do they strongly rely on that in their work themselves? Kristen? Uh, okay. Um, well, it, it's interesting that we're talking about a movie tonight because, uh, and it's a movie about architecture and something I try to do is actually bring in the cinema into my work. So my work is often about a journey where you don't necessarily see the whole to start with. Um, so it's something that forces, uh, well, it, it forces anyone to engage with it 
with you know uh, whether it's keeping your balance um, or building some form of intrigue. So maybe bringing you into a nook and cranny. Um, Fed Square is a good example where you sort of have to watch your own step. Um, and um, so um, uh, I'm going to—I'll go straight into the, the the movie. There's one one of the the buildings uh, you can you can see the whole building to start with. There's a hero shot right at the start, and you sort of—I found the rest of the 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 movie kind of empty because it's all sorted out for you. There's no intrigue, and um, I liked your questions because the the idea of distraction kind of forces you to engage with yourself and therefore you like yourself maybe a little bit more and therefore you might have something more to offer the world. So the generosity is sort of reciprocated with a kind of sensual space. Yeah, I think distraction is a good point, uh, especially in the sort of Russian library because uh, it offers a sort of generalised view of a library and it's very sort of to the point but the actual viewer of this story is very distracted and they're often kind of bored, but it fits in with that notion of a library. Aaron, did you sort of want to go on? I know you had thoughts about the library. The, yeah, the, well, I guess the, the library for me um, had a certain sense of madness about it, this sort of lunacy around um, the archive and, and the, the amount of books that were there and the sheer kind of um, trials and tribulations of trying to map and, and, and catalogue that huge library and I guess also the, the notion of um, a lot of people in there just getting right into the, into the studying of the, the books and the age of the books and all the rest of it. But um, I, I think that the notion of a, of, a, of a building having character and the way that um, the buildings are actually speaking to you as you uh, watch the film and that they, um, they have their own sort of um, nuance and I guess in, in relation to your earlier question, the, the way that... Uh, we, our practice looks at, um, well, I guess perceives buildings is um, that they do have a large impact on people and that, that um, haptic experiences, whether it be um, smell, touch, sight, less so sight, mm. um, have a, 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 body, a bodily impact on you. So architecture has an effect on your body. Public spaces has a, have an effect on your body. And so I think it's certainly important to consider those. Do you think that idea of the sort of haptic, the idea of bodily senses have effect from architecture, do you think that's strongly enough put forth in a lot of spaces we see these days? I think that if it's intended to... to if it's an intent of the work, then um, I think it can be powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, it's really down to that intent if it's not in... I think buildings will have an effect regardless. Actually, I'll backtrack. If it's um, really badly designed, it'll have a really savage effect as well. So, yeah, I think it, it happens regardless. Yeah. Okay. And maybe, Callum, coming from an artist's point of view where you look at the spaces you create, especially with your large sculptures and your large sort of um, work such as Lapine and things like that, are you then thinking about the sort of the longevity of the experience you create or is it more sort of the full frontal effect um longevity well i suppose uh and i feel it's a bit um groundhog day because i was here a couple of weeks ago and talking about my work and i'm probably going to talk say the same thing so apologize to anyone who's here but um 
uh, the, the haptic experience is very important in the immersive environments that I do, uh, or the installation things in particular. Uh, the, the pine sign sits outside a, a museum and in a sense changes the condition of that uh, space as you're entering it. And so it's a, it's a kind of rupture of signs, if you like. Um, and so there is a kind of something disorienting happens to the person driving past it. That is a haptic experience. It's a distracted experience. The hotel's the same. You know, the space of the road is a distracted experience. You're not immersed in anything. When I think of haptic, I think it's something you, you fully experience. You can immerse yourself in physically, uh, and it has a materiality to it, so it has a kind of weight. Uh, and uh, certainly for works of mine like Babylonia or Valhalla where you go into them and there is this schism between two different types of spaces. Uh, that shift from one space to the other and that physical experience inside it is really crucial but it's, it's just a moment. It's not necessarily something uh, or it's a moment that you take with you so it has longevity hopefully you know, you know, f uh, after the experience and and in a way, the films, um, we're not really meant to talk about the film, Cathedral of Culture, but I think we're going to, because um, <laughs> I thought that was the brief and I watched it for three hours and it was really enjoyable. Um, but uh, but uh, I, I, love, I love the film because it, um, it, it simulates that thing or reproduces that thing that I do when I go and travel uh, and look at buildings. So that's the way I experience buildings as, as objects, really. I'm not an architect. So when I look at a building, I look at it overseas um, and travel to a particular a place or a, a, a pilgrimage to a, a, some architectural significance. Uh, I am looking at it as an aesthetic object. I am looking at it sort of as its function. I understand its significance, you know, historically and those kind of things. But actually the thing I'm kind of registering when I see it is its atmosphere. And, uh, and I don't really analyse that too much. I just let that experience be there and, and hopefully I might record that or remember that and use that later in my work. So it's certainly significant to have those experiences and I do that all the time. What this film does, I think many of us do when we travel to look at buildings. We don't necessarily anthropomorphise the building and the building's not talking to us but we move through it you know, in a similar way. Mm. But in a way I think the film's interesting because it shows that idea of when we travel we see things for the first time but also yep. what we're viewing is people that have used it many times before. But we're viewing them using it many times before so it's our experience. Um, am I on? No. It's, it's our experience. So that, you know, our experience watching it, so it's the point of view of the building but that could be our first experience of that building. Mm. So you're right, habitual space, you, it disappears. I think space mm. kind of disappears through habit. But okay. And uh, Marnie, you often look at sort of the idea of distortion, looking and re-looking. Mm. How do you feel the film fits in with your work? Um, I'm not sure if the, the film necessarily fits in with my work. It's kind of very much about <coughs> a whole bunch of, you know, different buildings that I've never been to and I've never seen. So I feel very, you know, out of place, especially on this panel, considering that I don't make architectural work and I don't make very permanent sort of work but I guess I'm coming from more mm, sort of from the you know I'm being observed basically in the film I'm one of the people who has a relation to the building you know just by being there and sort of walking around and looking at it and I don't think it really does it relate fit <laughs> or fit in. Oh, well, it does relate, but it doesn't fit in. 
Or I don't have one. <laughs> but do you think it offers a sort of that kind of distortion that you look for in your work at any point in time? I think there's mm. the Norwegian prison, which when the narrator is very much anthropomorphized, the actual building itself coming yep. from the, psycho- the psychologist describing the building, it's very much distorting what we normally think of prisons from the outside. Mm. That's true. I felt like the most effective um, sort of films uh, that was sort of shown were the two that really centred on this idea of not being distracted, um, which I found to be the Salk Institute um, and the Centre Pompidou because... That's funny because I thought it was the most distracting... Really? Because, because uh, you know, this is quite a simple, straightforward building where you, you get to see the whole thing. You, mm. You're in the sort of... I mean, I love Khan, but it's not one of his greatest buildings as far as I'm concerned because it's all there. It's, all, it's kind of a bit scientific. It's sort of... It's trying to come up with a formula or a solution mm. as opposed to asking questions. Mm. So, I mean, mm. I, I like that there's a difference here because... Everyone in the film loves the building and it's a fabulous building that resonates with the site. You know, it's quite beautifully sited. But there's also an emptiness and a loss that is there because it's sort of... Sometimes an emptiness and a loss can be really conducive to kind of finding something because it's Mm. kind of giving you the space to think about certain things. And I kind of felt with the Pompidou, it really did that by taking you up to all of these viewing platforms and really kind of centering you within Paris and getting to look out and kind of the whole idea of that is also to look inwards to the building, to kind of look at the art. It might be a bit frustrating for the audience to not really know what the film is yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, perhaps we given that the, that, the, that the that the jig is up that maybe we should just explain the, the film. film. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. You know, so people know. Well, do we all want to explain you, one you story? Do it. You do it. Um, oh. I'll explain uh, this, my favourite buildings. How about that? Yeah. The, uh, yeah. the uh, Philharmonic in Berlin, which is this fabulous uh, um, uh, building that's designed from the inside out. So it's built so that um, every audience member can see the stage and then there's a, a tent-like structure around it. So it's quite... It, the building's performing in the landscape. It's quite a beautiful building in Berlin. Um, so the film has... The, the Cathedrals of Culture has six films in it, and each film, uh, the premise is essentially that the building is narrating itself to the audience, and a f- different filmmaker has made a film about each building. So Vin Vendor's made a film about the Berlin Philharmonic. Uh, Michael Madsen made an extraordinary film about Holden Prison in Norway. Um, I forget the other filmmakers, but there's Oslo uh, Opera House, um, Pompidou, Centre Pompidou, Pompidou, there's the Russian National Library and the Salk Institute, which Robert Redford made. And each of them tell the story of that building uh, through the camera and it's kind of the haptic thing is the way the camera moves through the building and there is this kind of narration over the top and the the Salk Institute is the only one that bucks the trend where it's more of a sort of myth of calm and his relationship with Salk. As if the buildings themselves are talking to you. Yeah. They're like yeah. basically having a conversation with you, yeah. Yeah. which is which is a uh, wonderfully curated way of it. it, it um, builds this history in it. They interview the people, and the reason I made the, com- uh, the comment about the Salk Institute is that it's a simple building, but I found it a bit 
frantic. He was mm. trying to find angles that weren't necessarily there. I thought it was interesting the um, the, the idea of the, the building talking and, and yes. an old lecturer of mine back in Hobart had this idea about writing a story and the main character was, was a building mm. and he was an architect obviously and I thought he was a bit mad at the time but um, has, having seen the film it was quite um, I think it worked quite well actually yeah um, but I think that the notion of um, if we go back to that idea of habitual use and, and the, the reading of a building and um, how that might change and the notion of so a, a building has a very to, to the public, to people that visit it semi-regularly or even, you know, once has a very different reading and a different um, atmosphere to those who are in it every day that, like, you know, are working in the administration or in the installation or deinstallation of art or whatever it might be. Their, their, their sort of sense of that is the guts of the building, the machine that's, that's happening and, 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 and the atmosphere back there particularly in these big buildings. It has so, I think it has so many different kinds of atmospheres within those buildings. I think they're very different depending on who you are and your engagement with the building. Also, your cultural reading of it, I mean, um, and the materiality. You know, if we talk about material, the, a material can mean one thing in, in one culture or one, one sort, of, sort of place and mean something very different in another. So I guess the, the, the nature of, of building in public space changing over time from habitual use or whatever it might be is inevitable with the changing of our culture and and but do you think it's something that we need to be more sort of aware of in the sense that a lot of artists and architects work is to sort of awaken people's experience of different spaces is it something to look sort of more into in terms of not just building a new space or building a new piece of artwork but the spaces themselves should have some sort of longevity in the sense that they rejuvenate or in a, in a way so you're talking about them changing over time or, you, or just changing with time like changing you, over time okay so not not, not just the, the idea that the material itself has a sort of inbuilt quality that changes that that ages you're talking about it actually physically changing in a way yeah mm. Um, I think it's interesting. Is it too much? Is it too flexible? Then, like, is it is it it's too flexible? Of, is it does it does it lose its character in in being able to change? In a way, it loses its history. Mm. But what are we to make of something like Cedric Price's Fun Palace, or which was meant to change all the time mm. and 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 adapt over time? Is that what you mean by it's in a way? Yeah. yeah so it's got an inbuilt capacity to be flexible and and. And, and, and shift and respond and be fluid, mm. yeah. Which is utopian, never realised, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's a nice idea. They're a, yeah, they're an idea, yeah. Um, hmm. um, is it maybe worth talking about um, the moment at, in time at which the buildings come about? I mean, that was something really um, great about the films is there was often, you know, a description of what was going on at the time. So the Potsdamer Platz, it's this building in the middle of nowhere, whereas um, the Pompidou Centre, which is this exciting machine that was this incredible um, building built from the inside out, you know, and the... the, the, um, the is the word brevity? The, the, the braveness of, um, of, of a city like Paris, you know, that built the... Eiffel Tower to do this extraordinary act of, of putting this mm. clumsy building that can't really be experienced in one you've got to and then you get stuck in the elevator and you, you get to experience these things in the movie which is really fabulous um, 
the inner workings of that building are just extraordinary. So um, I don't necessarily know whether flexibility is that important, but the moment in time or how the, 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 the visitors get to experience this and, and the impact of the experience on the city. I mean, the Pompidou Centre is just the most visited building in Paris, but then some t it can be empty and it's still fabulous. But I'm not saying that, that when it does have fabulous work in it, it's also mm. wonderful. So, um, people making it there, I think it's important that people um, feel a sense of identity with it or they can find themselves. Maybe it's sort of, um, I, I keep coming back to this thing that Vin Vendors wrote years ago, which I wish I knew where. I don't, <laughs> I can't quote from it, but he, he talked about trying on a jacket in Tokyo and he put the jacket on and all of a sudden he felt more himself. Um, and so therefore he was yeah, more himself. And I, I feel like um, buildings can give a sense of identity and if, if people can engage with the, these buildings, then the, architect, uh, the, the identity of the city may be born, maybe. Or, you know, I, I connect with the Eastern Freeway now <laughs> because of, you know, what people like you have done. It's this right. fabulous... Mm. It, because I've had to... Uh, be, I've been distracted from myself um, and therefore I've recognised this thing and it's made me like the road more, of li like the experience more. Am I being too simplistic? No, 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 I think the ro enjoying the road is a kind of antiquated idea in a way <laughs> and uh, that's a very luxurious road too. So the kind of, to have, you know, public sculpture on the side of it is an extra bonus. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the hands, you talked about the idea of the specificity of time in which a, a building evolves or anything evolves and the Hans Sharoon, the, the Philip Billin Philharmonic, was designed to be the centre of West Berlin before the wall happened. And then the wall was built all of a sudden and all of a sudden it was isolated. You know, so it wasn't, its function was ruptured immediately. And it took all that time. I mean, Mies built his building and, and the kind of centre emerged. But even when you go there now, it's, it sort of feels a bit vast and, and decentralised. Um, and it was lost, you know, for a long time in a way. But it was an extraordinary experience, an incredibly democratic experience. And I always think about him as... Because if you haven't seen the Berlin Philharmonic, he designed this revolutionary system for everyone in the... You know, the, the orchestra performs in the round and everyone in the audience can witness the same... Or a, a different view, but a, a kind of privileged view. Um, and... Um, and I've lost the line of what I was going to say, but that's uh, that's great. No, I was going to say that uh, Hans Sharoon, uh, I know that he battled with Le Corbusier on Siam. That was the, that's the thing I remembered about those two, that Le Corbusier used to pound the table about a kind of certain form of modernity, and Sharoon was the opposite. You know, he was trying to evolve a different form of progressive modernity that that building encapsulates. So um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. But you see, uh, like, as you were saying there was that large struggle between the two modernities. Um, that, to an extent, has been sort of shifted, especially the Berlin Philharmonic, and now our sort of main cultural focus is definitely on modernity, as it Corbusier knew it. Um, do you see that sort of come out in... As, but it's such a different thing, because in the sulk, which you could say Kahn is closer to Corbusier, in the sulk, it's very much a sort of straight-down-the-line Corbusier description of a building... Whereas in the Berlin Philharmonic, it's so much more about 
the rhythm of the, the space and the actual creation of the space and how people use it, where Sulk is very much a straight down the line of what people think about it and what Khan was like. And I'm just thinking, do you think it's an, a success for either story or is there one sort of... Well, the great success is the one, the Michael Madsen <coughs> film about the prison because it's a high-security prison designed by Eric Moller. I don't, I, I don't really know them as architects. And it's a, spa- a high-security prison... And it's a space of rehabilitation and it tells that story. And the space of rehabilitation is the space of modernity. I mean, that is progressive modernity in a way. I mean, that's what, well, okay, maybe it's a long bow, but that's what Sharoom was trying to do, you know, express a kind of uh, a better form or a more illuminated form of kind of modernity. And it feels like that building succeeding. And so that was fascinating to me. And it wasn't about its iconic status. It was about its use and the way they'd filmed it. They just had different sensitivi- sensitivities in a way. I mean, you know, the, the Salk Institute was, as you say, sort of much more straight down the line in terms of this is what it is and this is what you're expected to sort of experience. Whereas I think the, the Philharmonic was, is somewhat tuned to the ability to... Um, or it's, it's like an instrument in a way. So if you've got an old guitar and, you know, it keeps going and going and going and um, guitarists talk about the old guitar, which sounds amazing, the old Fender Strat or whatever, as opposed to the new one, they sound completely different. And I think that maybe the the notion of that philharmonic is is is, is that you, it's sort of it's aging and it's kind of taking on its and it's groaning and changing like an instrument would, and mm. maybe 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 the Soul Institute the kind of doesn't have that that kind of sensitivity, but also it has a flexibility about, about it. Like mm. it, it's got a flaw that runs through it that can mm. be, as we were talking about before, you know, that, that you can kind of refit and change the purpose of the building. So in a, in a sort of more um, physical manner. But um, I, I guess that if you look at the different buildings and, and the different um, kinds of sensitivities around the architects who have designed them and the things that they're trying to achieve, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a different... In a, in a way, like a different character and a different atmosphere that they're they're creating through those sensitivities and through the particular brief, I guess. Um, the, uh, I guess it would be interesting to consider what building you'd do in Melbourne like that way. What would the? Do you want to start? <laughs> well, how how would the voice? How would the voice? No, the empathy. What voice? would the voice? Is it Sean Goldsall's voice? I don't know. Would but, it be um, a woman or a man? <laughs> because like there there was. A, There's there was no a question there. <laughs> I spent a long time doing little architectural models with voices in them. You know, it's actually, it just occurs to me that actually it's, it's my work. A bit like um, <laughs> <laughs> mm, anyway. They're very different. I mean, the, the modernism of, of, of um, you, you talked about uh, in the prison that it's, there's an, I found it really interesting that the narrator for the prison was a, the, the prison psychologist. Yes, so that was... And that, there was this uh, wonderful empathy in her voice. Um, and so, therefore, the, that belief that one can redeem themselves. And, um, mm. and uh, I think uh, Shruin's space sort of forces you to engage and, um, and become part of the instrument or, or choose your place or... Whereas the Stork Institute, they, I mean, Redford, Robert Redford, <laughs> you know, um, which is, you know, I've just, um, uh, he just, he talked about this building, well, the, the narration is about, is mainly through the eyes or the celebration of, I thought it was more the celebration of um, Stork, you know, the scientific discovery and the sort of, and so it really resonated with me that they were making 
science interesting, you know, it's sort of, so it wasn't, for me it wasn't an experiential movie, but mm. it was very true to its purpose. It was almost and a story, that one, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Because yeah. Salk, Salk um, found a cure for polio. Yeah. Thing. Mm, yeah. yeah. Mm. Marnie, I was just wondering, I think it'd be a good idea if we all sort of spoke about our favourite building. Mm. Did you want to start? In the world or in the film? Oh, sorry, in the film. In the film, in the film. okay. All right. Um, let me just refer to my list. Um, you know, as, as, as much as, you know, the Salk Institute is a, like, kind of hardline building, I kind of found uh, the way that it was so devoid of life, in a sense. Like, if you just looked at it, if everyone was working, it was completely empty. And I found that kind of fascinating because you know people are doing all of these important things in these like monuments to I don't know what but it's kind of beautiful that they kind of wanted to approach the building you know in the way that science perhaps you know has its own creativity which it does like you know all sort of disciplines do have their own sort of sense of creativity um, and so much like a artist's studio, there's sort of like this studio for scientists to really, you know, come up yep. with these answers. Or not come up with the answers. I think in the film they talk about uncovering the answers that already pre-exist. You just need the time and the space to do that. That was why it was probably my favourite and do you think sort of the idea of showing it in its void, in its in its sort of uh, uninhabited state, sort of reflected the building very well? I suppose that's what you're going on. Showing it uninhabited, yeah. um, not necessarily, because it's kind of maybe like a like a beehive. You can kind of see people going in there. Mm. You don't see anything else, and then they come out. Something happened. You don't know what it is. <laughs> Because we're not scientists. Yeah. Aaron, they were building this one? Uh, yeah, it'd have to be the, pr- the prison, um, predominantly because of the way it was shot and because of the narration. Um, I think that the way that uh, the building told you how it was affecting you and, and how, it, how it sort of changed you and, and how it could help you or it could hurt you or it could control you, how it could... Um, how it could um, how it had a thousand eyes and, and that it could only it could see everything except for in, in your cell and I guess yeah it, it was it felt like it was very much the building talking more so than the other ones and uh, uh, yeah I mean I, I think that there was some interesting parallels between that building and the Snowetta um, building the the um, the opera house in that there were these sort of both had these really strange white kind of clinical environments which the were coloured by the human activity within them and I could almost kind of flip between the two. I could almost see operas going on in the prison and the 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 yeah. the, 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 the uh, Oslo um, building housing prisoners in it. It was just, and I guess um, it was just that that notion that that the the humans were. The human life was giving it, giving the building life, and apart from that, they were very stark and intense. 
Uh, so the, the, the Madsen one on the prison was my favourite film and uh, I really hate choosing favourites for buildings mm. and they're all amazing buildings. But what I really appreciated was that I had been to Berlin in July and gone for the tour in the Berlin Philharmonic but they were rehearsing that day and you couldn't get to see the main hall and so they showed me the main hall in the film so I liked that one. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> Kristen. Um, I have to say the Sharon building, it's just superb. Um, it's, it leads you um, to these sort of mysterious places. I, I'm a big fan of stairways to nowhere that connect you to the sky or they fascinate you enough to lead you to the depths. Um, and I think the Pompidou was shot really well. But can I put a spanner in the works? Go ahead. Um, I just... I actually... The Oslo opera really... I found because of the film... It made me quite disappointed um, about the building um, and I thought that's quite interesting that a movie could do that. I, f I found that they used dancing and singing and small children singing to get you to feel anything, <laughs> you know, like any emotion is just the sort of uh, the effect, you know, you, you, there's this wonderful sort of building hero shot but there's no nothing sort of leading you to feel anything thing other than cold, it looks like a cold commercial building so um, it, it, the, the, the group of films was fabulous to um, yeah go yeah. hello uh, the best thing about that building is actually the outside it's, it's that like way that it dives down one in, shot in though the water, you, you can't know. take well, it's just a, you know, it's that public space best buildings are really difficult to, yeah, to yeah, photograph yeah. because there's so many questions mm. um and there's so many I felt the same about the inside, about the general kind of experience yeah. of the building. But I was, I, I kind of, I, I guess the the outside way you can kind of walk all over it, and it becomes part of the city and becomes part of the river and all in one. I think this is quite interesting. But yeah, I think you're right. It was, yeah. it, it did feel a little bit um, sort of austere in terms of, um, yeah, atmosphere. Uh, Rachel, did you, do we want to do any uh, questions from the audience? Anyone? I'm really interested, I haven't seen the movie, but I'm really interested in the linkages that you think created the title, Cathedrals of Culture. Well, they're all, oh, well, they're all institutional buildings. I mean, actually, it's, it, what is interesting about that mm. title is that a prison is a cathedral of culture. Oh. So, and why not? You know, actually, um, but all the others are typically cultural institutions, libraries, opera houses, you know, art galleries, well, science, science laboratories. But, but, but it's, um, it's a particularly interesting question, I think. It um, is. What is culture? What, <coughs> well, what is cathedral? I think that's really interesting but because the the word has weight. I mean, what do you think about when you think about a cathedral? It's something that is spiritual or is higher power or is general beliefs or what is it, you know? What is this thing that is greater than yourself? And what is it that we're striving for to be greater than ourselves? But perhaps it doesn't even relate to the word culture as you're interpreting it. Maybe it relates to the culture of the organisations as individuals. Is there anything that potentially links their cultural organisations? the way they're organised or the culture that, of the people in them. I mean, there are big differences between scientific cultures and prison cultures, I imagine. And uh, have you seen the film? No, I haven't. And I th uh, the, the film, I think, does 
start to explore some of those questions because you do get to see the personalities. I mean, there's a beautiful shot at the end of... I don't want to say a punchline, but I'll do it. At the, you know, at the end of the prison movie where... You know, there's 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 stills, but they're not still. So, the the um, the director is holding the camera on these people that are in isolation. You know, so you can see them breathing, or you can see them um, thinking, maybe, or their hands shaking, or what have you. But there was a moment at the end of the the movie where one of the prisoners uh, couldn't tried to hold pose, but just kept bursting into laughter, and. So all of a sudden you're left with this... Potentially what the prison was trying to do was try to get you to think of some form of humanity. Mm. So is that culture? Well, it's part of the organisational culture that exists within the different environments. And the word cathedrals can mean so many different things as well. It could mean just a container of something. Mm. Um, But they did all describe a certain scale of institution. So there were kind of organising principles in all of them. There was a certain scale of occupation that, um, you know, completely different to a residential space, of course, um, and completely different to a church, you know, because so many people occupied them. So that, that, that is a culture. You're right. Um, but I think actually I'm not sure that that's the way they meant it because you say cathedrals of culture, you tag those two things together. It's like you're uh, really referring to cultural activity in a way, which, is, is which like makes the prison very interesting in that context because yeah. this idea of rehabilitation is part of you know, our cultural life. You mm. know? Um, I feel like bringing it back to the idea of habit Um, we could look at the prison the way that some sort of revolutionary thing that they did was basically have this, um, you know, like a supermarket inside the prison. So you could kind of continue your everyday things, you know, as a way of habit and... And a house that you could... And a house. Your family could come and stay in. And so I think all of the sort of buildings had, like, certain elements of habit. And the prison reproduced a world. That was mm. what's fascinating. So yeah, you're absolutely. Right. Mm. Yeah, like a village. It's a village, village. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So the, the word cathedral is important then because it's, it's already implying you, that we are creating it, we are building it. Yeah, and so in some ways you're also going to worship as well, mm. in, you know, I guess in all the, the sort of cultural, cultural ones, apart from the prison, I guess, but uh, in some ways you're, you're worshipping something else there. Or, yeah. Anyone else? Good question. Mm. James, um, it would be good if the panel could give pick up on that one of Callum's and, and their idea of the most haptic buildings in Melbourne, the ones with the five senses and all of the... Who would like to start? Yeah. <coughs> Don't look at me. I'm just... Oh, I'm going to just talk about my own work. In Spring Street, <laughs> um, I think it's haptic. I think it's, um, it's, it's. I think it forces you to interact with it and um, be part of the city and be part of. Um, it forces you to move through a space. It forces you to touch, smell, taste, um, and so. Um, I didn't want to blow my own horn there. It immediately came to mind. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think of um, the Prince of Wales down in St Kilda, the hotel with the carpet that Sticky sticks carpet. and the smells yeah. and the, I mean that is yeah. haptic, really, isn't it? So um, <laughs> the toads much the same. It's all about what happens inside, and not that's, exactly yeah, what that's right. the building is. That's years and years and years of layers and layers and layers of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else? I mean, ironically, maybe the building across the road. Um, you you walk, you know, you just the way you enter it. I think and that resonates with yeah. most people in Melbourne in yeah. a different way that a lot of other buildings don't. Mm. That front entrance, as yeah. you were saying, is yeah. all about that, and just the, that touch. And the the sense of scale is extraordinary. The 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 size of the stone, mm. you know, you 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 you're already, you can't help but. Uh, have a relationship to your own body um, when you look at the, the, the bricks that have mm. come to build it. So it's um, quite successful. Well, in the question would be whether Bellini ruined it. I mean, that's the kind of the contentious, contentious question. <laughs> well, no, it is. I mean, but yeah. the things that yeah. survive are the yeah. Leonard French, you know, lying. My, my, I took my yeah. kids the other day to lie under the Leonard French thing. Yeah. I mean, that's been going on for generations. So, yeah, that is a really, you know, amazing experience to kind of hold on to historically. But, mm. Um, Sorry I, to raise the question. You, well, I made my students all put their... They had to take a photo of themselves um, putting their feet in the water. Mm. And just because uh, everyone's watching, you know, looking at Facebook and, and on their phones and, you know, they don't notice the trams when they cross the street. And so the whole act of them actually having to put their foot in and take a photo of in the water was... They're just uh, forcing them to interact with the city and... That, that, that was a favourite task I've asked them to do. I, I washed my hair in that water once. <laughs> True story. After a concert at my music bowl, we all jumped in there and it was sponsored by Apple Shampoo Company and we all washed our hair. Quite haptic. It was good. <laughs> that was haptic. <laughs> It will. I'd kind of like to suggest the State Library kind of as a haptic experience, just an example of that the other week where as part of the Melbourne Festival they had um, the scaffolding up and they also had um, an artwork by Linda, Linda Tegg out the front and then they also had some BMWs parked out the front and I feel like that's a really haptic experience <laughs> if you were actually trying to enter the library. Is it something you enjoyed? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, any other questions? Sorry, my question is about how the the haptic sort of plays out through a film and through the visual and um, I guess with two architects and maybe someone interested in architecture, I'm sure you've experienced a number of these buildings in person and then Marnie, I'm not sure how many, I'm not, not make, don't want to assume, but how many of them you've actually visited and how, I guess as this continues on, how, how the visual haptic experience might play out more as our engagement with buildings seems to be reducing through things like the internet and um, how the tension between the visual and the haptic or, yeah. 
I don't think you can uh, fully. I don't think you can experience it. Uh, I think it's, it's got to be bodily, and I think that um, you can understand. You can have it explained to you. You can have it narrated, and it, you can have a sense of it. Like I guess you know, a, a great poem will do, or whatever it might be. But um, to fully understand the atmosphere and the haptic qualities of a building, you have to be in it because it does affect your body as a whole. So I think that's, and you know, I agree to you, agree with you in in the way that we are starting to um, digest architecture purely from an image-based scenario. Um, going forward, it, it, it's definitely going to become more so. I think with the all the blogs, yeah. An interesting um, architect that I wrote off as a student um, was Eldo Rossi um, and the image of his, you know, the simple um, box with the pitched roof. You know, I, I wrote it off through imagery um, and it wasn't until experiencing his buildings and the spaces and the complexity and the sense of wonderment and, and little details that you just can't capture in a hero shot. Um, and so that, that was a real turning point for me, sort of to realise the sense of space and materiality that can really change... Um, it can change the way people move and exist in a space, the way the light hits it at certain days, at times of the day, and all different... And its relationship to the landscape, if, if it's, you know, the way it's um, kind of sighted can really make a big... Um, big impact yeah space and volume will like it, it'll actually compress and release you and i think that's the thing that's hardest to to sort of experience through imagery and through through movies somehow they, they like a movie will do it a little bit more so than photos but that's that it's that for me it's that compression and and sort of um expansion of volume that that is is, is very much a bodily um, component of visiting architecture because it's it it's very curated. I mean, you can have some fabulous photographers take some great shots of lousy buildings, you know. Um, and, you know, I've worked with architects that have created an image for the photograph. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that it's a rule that um, I, I admire buildings that are difficult to photograph, but as a rule, I... Um, enjoy buildings that are difficult to photograph. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, you know, physical experience, the atmosphere, I mentioned that in the beginning is a very important thing to experience and uh, can embed itself in you long term. Um, but I think this film tried to do something different mm. and I think it's, there, there is a specificity about um, the way cinema shoots buildings and when you have a film like this where the, where the premise was to be the building and the camera to be the building and that you, the point of view is from the building um, uh, you experience something similar quite similar to walking around like some of those buildings are quite complex and if you're moving around in them you don't get a sense of their overall and the film reproduced that idea of a closeness and and the building as a kind of breathing organism it was something that was talked a lot about and i think that's true so it's quite nice that it's trying to approximate what that sensation is. So that's a kind of new model. I mean, it probably isn't going to be, you know, the same, obviously. But I think the attempt through new technology will be, or this time of thinking, will be to try and reproduce that experience as much as possible. I think the other thing, too, is that the film is shot in 3D. And we're, we're, yeah, we're we looking saw it at in 2D. Our, yeah, that's we're right. looking at our laptops. So I think yeah. the yeah, nature right. of that might may well 
change our perception of it. I mean, I'll definitely go and see it. Yeah, so if we haven't ruined it for you, the 3D thing is a really extra thing <laughs> yeah, to see, it. isn't it? Really. <laughs> Anyone else? Um, you talked about um, having a personal response to a building, which we all bring our own influences with us. I'm just wondering, as professionals looking through a professional lens, whether ever you've felt like the building's a bit contrived, like the architect is trying to manoeuvre you to evoke a response that they want from the building? I'd say all the, all, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, I guess it's it's about the intent of what that is, and whether it's is that intent good? Well, well it, it depends can, with it can, the be, it can be good and bad. I think. Well, it depends. I mean, if 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 the architect's trying to offer you solutions, I personally find that uh, I'm kind of not interested in that. I, I kind of like this is where I believe architecture and art. You know, a piece of work that can force you to ask more questions. Is more um, is is far more generous. So, if the if the architect was intending to lead you to start thinking more, and start feeling more, start questioning more, or or build a reaction. I mean, I um, as a student, I struggled with building eight, Peter Corrigan's building eight, and the amount of questions that I sort of look at how it meets the skyline and what's it trying to do with its windows, and and then all of a sudden I realised, wow, I'm thinking you know, and this is really interesting. Like, this is really interesting for a city to have buildings that question themselves or, or we question ourselves as, as, uh, as members of, of, of that city, if you like. So, so it's okay to be directed? Well, it depends what the direction is. If, if, if the direction is closing off answers and looking for solutions, I, I, don't, I, I don't find that interesting at all. And I, I, I don't think as a society we want that I mean I, I would have thought we don't want to have answers and solutions we want to have questions you also have to somewhat direct you have to do you're, in some ways you have to make some moves it's like it's like any any sort of form of I guess creating volume or space or whatever it might be you have to contain it you have to do something with it and I think if you if you're not in, if you're not doing that with intent then I'd love uh, to know that that what building made you ask that question. <laughs> Sorry, it was just a discussion that made me think, as professionals, because we're looking yeah. through lay lenses, as professionals, whether ever you felt... Mm. I think I would say that um, I would prefer to be directed in a building than I would be to have no direction at all. And I think there is a kind of... With the diminishing um, amount of... Uh, people going to the expertise of architecture um, as a global phenomenon, you know, I would encourage people to use architecture because you'll have a better experience because the opposite is a, is a kind of, is a very directed and prescribed um, future. That's so. right. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Final question? Final. Thank you. <laughs> um, much of the discussion tonight has centred around that sort of unilateral effect that a building or a film will have on us, the individual, um, the population or the audience. Um, I want to get each of your opinions as to whether you think that 
for example, a building or a piece of art can have more than that unilateral effect on, say, an individual or an audience or a population, and actually affect, for example, the relationships between the people who are experiencing that at the same time. I know it's a little bit abstract, but perhaps some examples of how you think you might have tried to do something like this in your own personal work? Or you mean construct a space where you're thinking about the relationships between people rather than a sort of solitary experience or the object? Yeah. Okay. So it's audience? I'm, I'm not sure I understand. No, you, you're trying to bring people together or get I'm not trying to do anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking you guys whether perhaps you think it's possible to have more of an effect than just on, you know, how someone... Uh, inside themselves feels or something like that and maybe whether you think it's possible that you can go beyond that and say have an effect on the relationship between two people in that space or experiencing that piece of art I think oh. that the, the, it's, it's hard the, but if you go to the film really quickly the Salk Institute was talking about trying to um, yes. bring people together and refocus the mind so that like it, they're talking about this idea of being constantly distracted by um, contemporary the contemporary mm. world and that the building was trying to refocus people and, and bring people together and there was this idea of cross fertilization so for instance if you've got particular departments that are like close together and there's this there's this sort of um, cross-fertilisation, and they talked about that's when science kind of jumps. It's when the people mm. from different disciplines come together and mm. they kind of they hit that spark and then, you know, things happen. So I guess if, if you talk, you know, uh, building the way it's planned, the way it's um, its program comes together, may well Yeah, that's that. the key, isn't it? It's yeah. the planning and the program and this notion of bumping different worlds. It's exactly that idea of mm. bringing people that wouldn't necessarily be together together to discover new things and... Um, and things that perhaps were in conflict before to be resolved in another way. So, does that answer your question? I, I, really. can, I, I see. Um, I, I truly think yes, you can do that. And and how you do that is you set up questions so that there's relationships that are formed. So you have a relationship with the space, you have a relationship with the materiality, and therefore you kind of. I think it's contagious. You start having more relationships with others. You know, you, you um, even in building, I, I try to build relationships with the tradesmen, for example, where if you get inspire them, they'll do a better work, and and so therefore the art, the the nature of it, the artisan work resonates in the space. I feel like if the more um, maybe if we were to put more human elements into something where so you can have that tactility resonate in the space I th and I mean that was an interesting thing in the film where the first film is the um, wonderful um, Philharmonic and the one of the first few minutes there's the there's a woman fixing the tiles and so you see this sort of grand entrance but then she's on the ground fixing the mosaics in the floor and so I, I I'd want to hug someone <laughs> if I experience that, you know, like, I, I, you know, I think it can move you if you can see the impact of um, human thought or human touch on something. Does that... Um... 
Movie? I don't think we can answer your question. But I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a question without a bottom. <laughs> but it's a good question. But yeah. yeah. All right. Should we finish it there? If everyone could just thank the panel, that'd be great. <laughs> Um, I'll leave you on two things. I've been told the bar is open, so feel free to, and to stay around and buy a drink and hang around the, this lovely pavilion. And also, um, there is over there, there's a couple of maps of um, an audio tour in between Acme and M Pavilion, and also there's the new assemble paper. So pick one up and uh, see how you go. Thanks.